Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. Black Duck Revival Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Hunters of Color, a 501c3 dedicated to the mission of fostering a more equitable and inclusive community for hunters. Go over to the website, huntersofcolor.org, and take a look at all the resources they have there. They've got a new community platform you can engage with, and I invite you to take a look at the five different tiers of membership that they now have available. By becoming a Hunters of Color member, you join a community of individuals passionate about hunting, conservation, and promoting the message that the outdoors are for everyone. As a member, you'll have access to exclusive events, educational resources, and mentorship opportunities that will help you develop your skills and connect you with like-minded individuals. You'll also be supporting the mission to make hunting and conservation accessible to everyone. Join Hunters of Color in building a more inclusive outdoor community and experience the connection to nature and land in a supportive and welcoming environment. You belong here. You can check out all the good work they're doing over at huntersofcolor.org. Man, it has been a minute, but welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. Uh... Man, real talk, what happened? Dude, I came back from Turkey Bebop and just literally and figuratively, my house was out of order. Uh, just kind of stuff was a mess, man. There's, uh, And I know you're going to say, oh, it's because you left for a month. Well, yeah, it's because I left for a month, but it's because I left for a month without having some stuff in place. I did some stuff wrong, uh, and that was hard on my family, and... Man, I kind of fell off the wagon as far as, like, just imbibing too much. And, man, just have really had to spend the better part of the summer trying to get my shit together. So, I think I've done that. I think I'm back on the right track. I think I'm pointed north on the compass there. I'm sure it will uh, falter again. But, uh, man, I'm I'm super excited and really looking forward to a lot of the stuff that I'm going to get to do this fall and winter as far as taking Black Duck Revival and not necessarily a different direction, but I think a bit more of a refined and focused one. Uh, We are going to have some really cool hunts that if you're interested, I'd love to have you on, but uh, we're also going to do some other stuff. We're going to do some cooking classes. We've got a decoy making class. And truthfully, man, I've got to travel a ton. So I'm going to be all over the place, which is like a, a big passion of mine. I really like seeing this country, you know, from a vehicle, from the driver's seat of a vehicle, and then getting to hang out with really fascinating people and hunt with them and cook with them and and, and learn their stories and try and understand them just a little bit better. And I'm really excited to be able to bring 
you folks into the fold with that more. So uh, more information with that will be forthcoming. Uh, hunt dates and classes and all that stuff should be on the website by the time this episode goes live. But something that kind of helped to get me out of this funk, this stagnation uh, that I found myself in was a trip I took a couple weeks back to the high desert of northwest Utah. I went up for a PR event for Sitka. Basically, they had a they had a bunch of folks from magazines and stuff, and they were showing them new gear, and they brought some of the ambassadors out to, you know, get some content and, and the like, you know, business stuff. Uh, while there, I was able to prepare a veritable feast, shall we say, uh, for about 30 people there. We, uh, you know, there was like a bunch of stuff. They had a bunch of stuff in the freezers, and they really wanted to highlight this kind of feel-to-table lifestyle. So uh, we had some alligator and i think they really wanted to get that out of the freezer because i don't think they knew what to do with it so we did some buttermilk soaked and then fried alligator bites did a little remoulade sauce to dip that in as an appetizer paired that with this cool uh chalada thing it was like i just blended up a bunch of spicy peppers with salt did a spicy rim on these cups and then a little bit of hot sauce a little bit of lime zest squirt of lime juice and uh Modelo, I believe. Yeah, just good Mexican beer. And that was like a nice, tasty kind of start the meal deal. And then we did a spread. We had alligator etouffee. We made a big pile of pronghorn tamales. We did a bunch of elk hot links, you know, just a spice sausage with a ton of paprika and garlic, and then smoked them and then crisped them up, crisped them up on the grill. Uh, and I think we had something else. What else we have? Oh yeah, man. We did this salad and I wanted it to be a little bit more wild green heavy, but you know, I was out there digging around in the creeks and stuff on this property and, uh, found the stuff that I knew, which was a ton of dandelions. So we did a, a minced up or rather a julienne, a bunch of leaves off those dandelions, mixed it into the salad. And then did this kind of ginger dressing, very akin to if you ever go get sushi uh, and you have that ginger salad, it's basically like a play on that. But man, real good meal, real interesting people. One of which was Bo Martonic, who is a, I guess, a professional bow hunter, content creator, freelance outdoor writer. He's making films. He's uh, the host of a very popular podcast called East Meets West. And the deal on that is that this is a guy who grew up in a hunting family, different background than me, grew up in a hunting family, started hunting when he was very young. His father had a lifetime of experience. His grandfather had a lifetime of experience. I think in the area that they're from in Pennsylvania, they're known as a family of uh, really skilled and proficient hunters. And he's been able to take that information, that starting point, and then apply a bit of wanderlust to it. And now he spends a bunch of time coming out West to take that specific knowledge from the Eastern style hunting of whitetails and apply that to hunting different species of deer and different species of ungulates across the Western United States. And he's built a really cool platform for himself. He's really uh, placed himself as an expert in this field. And man, he's a super nice guy, uh, really friendly, 
top-notch mustache. We talk about that on the podcast a little bit. But uh, we decided, you know, you get to these things, you get to these events, or, you, you know, you go on a hunt, and, like, everybody and their mother has a podcast, obviously, right? And so sometimes it can get a bit oppressive because, you, you know, you get into a space and say maybe there's five people, all of which would be awesome podcast guests. But you can't turn the event into this uh, revolving door of like sending people to your hotel room so you can interview them for an hour and a half. There's really not a way to do that and have it be what I want it to be because you got to get to know some folks. You got to spend a few days with them at least. You got to have some shared experience and just kind of get the flavor of who they are before you can delve into the stuff that I'm most interested in. So these guys all stayed and went to the total archery challenge there in Salt Lake. I had to skedaddle back to Little Rock and get back to work here on some stuff. But before I left that morning, we were able to sit outside, found some shade because it did get hot there. And we did our podcast, uh, did a swap cast. So you might have heard this before with Ben O'Brien from the Woodside podcast. But we did a swap cast, which means that we recorded the podcast together. Uh, Bo filmed it for his platform. He'll put it out on YouTube and have some cuts and stuff on Instagram. But uh, for my purposes, we're just going to release this podcast as, you know, the normal type that I do here, which is audio, uh, long form. Uh, Bo actually asked me a lot, lots of questions in this podcast. But, man, it was I had I mean, I hadn't recorded one in probably like seven weeks, eight weeks, something like that. So it was really nice to get back in the swing of things. Remind me why I like doing this so much uh, and, and really kind of help get me enthused as we move from, you know, towards the end of the summer here. And it's almost August here in a month and a half. It'll be time to start chasing black bears here in Arkansas with bows uh, and then all sorts of traveling around uh, chasing birds in different places. I do feel like I'm going to spend uh, more time than I have in the past few years, which has been essentially none, uh, chasing whitetails here in Arkansas. And man, just trying to really do this in a, in a way that works as far as like the experiences that I'm looking for, but also has me at home where I need to be. I mean, I got three kids, I've got a wife, I got a house to take care of. I'm gonna try and stay away from the 28 days on the road, uh, consecutive days on the road if I can. But folks, I really, appreciate you sticking with me. I appreciate you being interested in the podcast and I'm so excited to introduce you to a new friend of mine, Bo Martonic. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. This week in tandem with East Meets West podcast, I'm in western Utah and uh, I'm joined by Bo Martonic. He's joined by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and this is a Swapcast. Yeah, um, I'm excited, Jonathan. It was funny, we were, uh, I was talking to you, I was like, I'd love to get you on the podcast and you were like, well, I want to get you on mine. So we're like, well, let's just do kind of a a swap cast and and do kind of a, a joint thing and just have a have a good conversation because it's been fun to fun to get to to know you over the last few days and just I don't know kind of BS and learn each other's lives sure, a little bit sure. and it helps so much versus like doing these podcasts over a computer with someone you never met it's a little bit more difficult yeah. and and getting to getting to meet you and just kind of learn a little bit about you has been pretty cool 
Yeah, man, it's been a cool couple of days. I think other folks are staying longer. I got to get my butt back to Arkansas, but uh, yeah, man, it's it's. Uh, I would say this, man, like this, these sorts of events, right? Which, like, this is a, I guess this is a PR event, right? For yeah. Sitka's shooting some content, and they got some media folks and all that stuff, and it's, it's like it's still weird for me, you know, like to show up to a place and, you know, like be listed, like you know, they've got like a call sheet and it's like talent ambassadors media it's it's i'm getting more comfortable with it i kind of hope i'm never all the way all right with it, <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like i don't want to believe my own bs but uh it's it's really awesome to get to come to places like this man like just pristine habitat beautiful uh i mean that in itself is a privilege man yeah, no, it, it totally is. And I, I'd never been to Utah before. I've been all over the Western states yep. and been lucky to just – I love traveling out here and seeing things. And Utah is really beautiful. It's a cool place, man. I have I mean, I hunted here in, like, late late season for elk, and it was, like, all snowed in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which was really cool because the critters stand out like, whoa. You know, and, like, I'm not – I've been doing some Western hunting the last few years, but like I just I don't have Western eyes, you know. Like just people pick up these things that like I never would have seen it, you know. Yeah. I hunt at home. I hunt real tight stuff, you know. Like you you're not getting a fifty yard shot where I hunt. Yeah. Uh. So it's, it, you know, like I like I like being out of my element enough. Like I don't want to be like completely <laughs> floundering, but it's great to be places and and kind of learn new skill sets and realize that, like you could never. You could never hunt all of the cool stuff in this country. No. Right? You couldn't hunt all the cool stuff in the state you live in. No, you know, you can't. No, it's funny, like so one thing I've learned like from Western hunting for the last, I don't know, eight years or whatever I've been doing it for, is it's actually helped me a lot back home, even though like the landscape's so much different. You know, my cousin phrased it in a way, he's like, when he's hunting mule deer in the open country and watching how they bed and they shift beds and do that, he's like what our whitetails are doing at home, it's just all woods and you can't mm-hmm. see them. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of gives you a, a different perspective and you can see how they're using the terrain, the landscape where a lot of this stuff, when you're in the thicker woods, like you're at in Arkansas where I'm at in Pennsylvania, it's just like these deer and these animals are just like, a lot of it is assumption of like what they're yeah. doing versus you can get more confirmation by looking through glass and stuff out here. That man, that's a really great point because it, uh, I don't know if I had, I don't know if I'd categorize it that way in my mind, but yeah, absolutely. I'd say like with turkeys, you know, that's what I'm coming out west mostly to hunt. I'm taking like one uh, elk of the year out here, but in Utah. But everything else I'm, I've done thus far is oh no, I killed a pig in California, I guess, a few months ago. But it's turkeys, and like this, you can like watch them. You know, like I've never, I've never seen a turkey while I was turkey hunting in Arkansas. Yeah, you know, but like until they're right there. No. Yeah. I mean, never. I've never seen a turkey when I was trying to find one in Arkansas. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never killed a bird in Arkansas. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. There's, it's a, got, we've got terrible populations. You know, like, Arkansas is not in good shape with turkeys. Uh, I'm, you know, becoming slightly more proficient, but I'm not Will Primos or anything. Yeah. You know? And, like, it's, uh, yeah, no, I've never, I've like, I went like a thousand miles away to get a bunch of turkey experience in because, that was kind of like my best way to catch up. Yeah. No. I wasn't, I wasn't going to do it at home. You know, it's, 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 I've only turkey hunted out West one time and it was kind of by accident. I was bear hunting in Montana 
and ran into a guy that was a listener to the podcast and was like, hey, we shot a turkey way back in here in the mountains. And he's like, we're going to be leaving. If you guys want to go, like there's turkeys there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically gave us a spot to go back in and check out and went back in. And uh, my brother was a Montana resident. He had turkey tag. And I called in a Miriam's Tom for him. And he, oh, and he awesome. ended up killing it. And it was so cool to to see that and and i'd never even seen a miriam's bird before you yeah know. there's something else with that with those white tail feathers oh, they like beautiful it looks like they're glowing when they get backlit by by sun it they look it's almost like this pulsating glow yeah now do, do you chase turkeys a lot in pennsylvania yeah yeah it's that's kind of like a sleeper state for turkeys but like y'all get a bunch of them right it, it depends on the part of the state so like where i'm at it's it's low densities of turkeys they used to be when i was a kid they were everywhere yeah and now it's it, it's i'd say it's on at least in the areas that i hunt it's on the upswing again like this year was really good seeing a bunch of birds and and being around but it's just like two and just where i hunt there's no ag land there's no anything it's just appalachian mountains and woods so it's like Unless, you, well, when you hear them, you hear them, but it's just like there's not, you, you don't see it that many. Like they're not coming out in the fields sure. or doing anything like that. So it's 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 tough hunting. Uh, and uh, the last few years, I haven't shot a turkey. Up until then, I'd usually I'd usually shot a turkey every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's it's it is like there's parts of the state though that are loaded with them too, and then there's other parts that just are probably worse than where I'm at. So it's just kind of a kind of a mixture. Like we were talking last night about like, you know densities and areas and how it's just like it fluctuates so much well using that there's this uh meme thing floating around on instagram or whatever and it's like uh if you want to catch a lot of fish you should go to a place with a lot of fish (laughs) and that's like honestly that's the most true thing i've found about hunting skill set absolutely matters woodsmanship matters proficiency with your weapon matters best thing to do is go someplace where there's a lot of opportunity You, you know it's like it's 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 like the same thing of like all right if your goal is to shoot a 170 inch whitetail mm-hmm. probably shouldn't pick pennsylvania is it possible yeah, yeah. but <laughs> i'd probably go to an area that has higher density if that's what your goal is yeah to to be able to you know to be able to to do that and and uh it's you kind of got to be honest with yourself on on some of those things and what you can make happen well we were talking about it too man it's like Anyone who doesn't say that, you know, the idea of luck, you know, is when, you know, you heard that people say, like, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? Like, you can do a lot to prepare for when you get lucky, but, I mean, I've never, and I know people do this, you might be doing this, I've never hunted a specific buck. You know, I've killed some deer that I was, like, stoked about, and I thought they were real cool, man, but I've never tried to pattern one specific buck and target them you know i've i've had most of my success during the rut you know which is like dude a lot of people forget that like you're hunting animals that they're acting totally different than they would the other 11 months out of the year right yeah so like i don't know if you want to call that luck but that's something kind of out of your control now there you can pattern that stuff and i just put myself in a position where i thought there would be deer coming through i read sign you know and then i tried to who we got coming through here? Hey, uh, But, yeah, man, I mean, like, I feel like I've gotten lucky a lot, you know? Yeah, and, and I guess the way this is the way I'll phrase it. So I, I have targeted specific bucks, and, and it's worked out a few times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not definitely not like uh, the regular where I've Does been able to. Does it feel different if you get that? 
Yeah, yeah. With that animal? Um, yeah, it, it does. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say it feels more special, but mm-hmm. it feels different. It's it's cool to like. Okay, this was a deer that I was really trying to figure out. But I will say, like, and and at least in the areas that I hunt, like I said, in the big woods, there's not primary food sources necessarily from their going to these fields or anything. There's definitely a ton of assumptions that have to line up yeah, to, to yeah. make that that work out. And then the way I look at the rut is I, I think the rut, um, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it luck. Luck is definitely a part of it. But I think it's like you get in these spots and it's like being patient and just like waiting it out. Like it's sure. like picking a good spot that – but you also – I know people that will just like pick a random tree and, it, you know, yeah. it works out too. So it's kind of a – a mixture there, but they're definitely not in their right brains. They're thinking with a different part of their body than their yeah. brains at that time. Yeah, yeah, man. And it's, uh, you, you know, that's also, like, I don't use trail cameras, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because, you know what, still when I'm, like, when I'm hunting, you know, and I'm, like, I want there to still be some magic to it, you know? Like, I remember telling my dad when I started hunting, because I didn't grow up hunting or anything. I was telling my dad about, like, bow hunting deer. Because the way I started hunting was, like, bow hunting deer, basically. And I said, man, it's like unicorns. You can be paying attention and not hear anything and turn around. And there's, like, this, you know, everyone's had that. There's, like, this doe just, like, looking up at you. And you're like, how did you show up here? And I love the magic of not knowing. I mean, look, I'm trying to put myself in a fortuitous situation. But I love that ultimately it's not in my control. And it's, man, it's. I, I still get like a little giddy, like when yeah. one comes within range, and I'm like, I picked the right spot. I read sign right. I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, and like, I'm stoked about does coming through. I mean, I'm stoked about, uh, I'm stoked about, you know, big bucks. I've never killed like a, the f- biggest deer I've ever killed was the first deer I killed. Really? I killed, he was, I mean, how, how not, old were you then? 27. Really? Yeah, I bought that bow. I told you that same one I'm hunting with. Yeah. Uh, at where did I get it? It was like a four hundred dollars setup, and it was like four arrows, the case. You know. Ooh, oh, 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 oh. Ugh. Oh, we had a dog come through. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't cool. Might have to ask this lady to get her dog. Dude, yeah, that's a whole other situation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right. How's it sound still? Sounds about amazing. Still running? Yep. Yeah, that's cool. All right. We just roll the punches. Yep. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? Uh, you're talking about your your first your first. Oh clock. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but yeah man, it was like just like a four hundred dollars setup. I got the bow, the Plano case. It had a whisker biscuit. Uh, like a five pin sight, and like some some ammos that were. Had some camouflage pattern, which I quickly realized was a bad way to recover your arrows. Yes, yeah, I, I, I went down that route before too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I got him. I had that bow for like two weeks, and I got that deer, and was super stoked about it. And uh, you know, I've been able to take some other deer with that same bow. And uh, yeah, you're still using that bow today, right? Mm-hmm. I got made fun of when I was turkey hunting. My buddy Jay Byer was taking pictures for Sitka. And he saw the he saw me. He's like, "Dude, that's an old bow." Hmm. I was like, "What are you talking about, man?" And it's you know, I shoot it with. I've got two pins on it. I did take the whisker biscuit off like three years ago, and put a like a drop away on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I shoot. 
sportsman's warehouse. It's like sold these 400 grain. It was like $35 for 400 grain, uh, 12 pack of arrows. And I've just like, I've been shooting that the whole time, man. Like cut them down at home and refletch them. And just simple. Dude, super simple. You know, I shoot a, I killed that first deer with a rage, but I've been shooting Montex, uh, which I like a lot. Um, and they work for turkeys, like 100 gram Montex. They work for turkeys. I've killed a couple of bear with them. Uh, I'm not really like a gearhead dude. You know, I like, I like to find something that works and, and if it's, don't change it unless there's a reason for it, you know? Yeah, no, no, that, that totally makes sense. And like, so I'm, I'm the opposite when it comes to, I'm, I've become a gearhead mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I've, I've said it before. It's like that there's a detriment to that of like learning new equipment and getting comfortable mm -hmm. with it and doing everything. I was, when we were talking, when I was up in Alberta, I was sick of hunting at uh, Jim Hole's place, his outfitter up there. And he was like, He's like, I know when the when the killers come into camp because they got these old bows that are worn in <laughs> yeah, the strings. Yeah. He's like, they know their setup is basically what he's saying. He's like, sure. they know. He's like, someone comes in with a brand new bow, there's not a scratch on it, it looks you know pristine. He's like, I, I, I you know, I start. I'm like, hmm, how 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 is this gonna work out? A bit and, more of a dilettante, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just kind of interesting, but well, I also know like my limitations. You know, like, and I guess this has changed a lot as like the proliferation of Western hunting. But you know, the buddy that kind of showed me the ropes and got me on a hunt, he was like, dude, it's completely unethical to shoot over 40 yards. And I wouldn't say that that's the case. You know, like, I've seen lots of people that, I mean, that tax stuff, like, there's a whole bunch of people here that could shoot, ethically shoot an animal at 75 yards, I'm sure. Yeah, Chris B. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah. I mean, I know I can't. I've, the furthest I've ever been from an animal and uh, taken one successfully in a bow hunt was 25 yards. I've killed everything inside of, that first deer I killed at 12 yards, I killed a bear at 5 yards. Like, my skill set is being able to be close to them. It's not in shooting. Yeah. And so, and like there was like kind of a minute where I was like, man, I, I really need to be able to shoot 80 yards. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I see why it would be important for somebody else, but like I'd rather, that's also part of the experience that I like. Like I like being right there. Getting close, yeah. No, it's, it's fun. Like when I, with my whitetail setups, I try so hard to like get my setups are set up so I can shoot within 20 yards. Like that's mm -hmm. my goal is to have a 15 yard shot. I really don't want any closer than that. That's about like a sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Getting closer kind of gets tough too, but you know, to, to do that, when you get an animal at that range, it's like just that alone is like you won. Like, you know, you, you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. got, you were able to be in there and be kind of undetected besides that damn blow, damn doe that just seems to, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those. Well, you know what it is. A lot of people say it's like that's the part of the game that I like, and I, I don't look personally. I'm not participating in hunting as like a sport. I don't think it's a sport. It's not a game to me. This is like a part of my life. This is how I feed my family. This is like how I get sustenance and personal validation and all this stuff, right? Uh, and I, you know, not to like hippy dippy it too much, but you know, like I'm, I'm mostly known as like a a waterfowl guy, right? Like a bird guy. I'm super interested in animal vocalizations. Like I spent a ton of time like learning. I spent a ton of time learning to run a duck call, right? Uh, same thing with like a speckle belly call. Same thing with like uh, mouth diaphragms for turkeys, right? I love the communication. I love the, the back and forth. Uh, 
And I'm, what I'm really trying to do is like enter that world. It's not that I'm necessarily, I guess, you know, I don't feel like I'm trying to beat them. I feel like I'm trying to convince them. You know what I mean? Like, or like when you're calling ducks, you know, and you break ducks up in the sky and they come down and you call them all the way in, man. Like you, you kind of entered a different uh, wavelength or plane for a second, right? Like it's, it's a, I don't know, transcendental, even a little too intense maybe, but that's what does it for me. Like I, you know what I think about that bear I got this year? I think about looking up and seeing that bear, like just basically walk to the tree I was in. And it's not the, it wasn't the loosen the arrow at it. It was that chunk of time when it made it 30 yards from over the knoll where I couldn't see to where it was right there. That was like so special. And I was, I was watching that animal be a bear. Yeah. You know, I mean, that bear had no idea I was there. I saw, it was like fly on the wall. I got to see something special and magical that like most people where I live aren't going to see, you know? No. And that, and, and that, that was interesting when you were talking about that, that bear story with me. And I, I wanted to, to kind of talk about that because it's, it's so interesting. You were talking about like your woodsmanship skills with bears, whether you want to admit it or not, is pretty is is pretty serious in my opinion as far as oh, like that's nice to say yeah, yeah the way the way that you look at it and you so kind of describe about that like because you were, you'd killed two bears with your bow right in arkansas yeah the last couple of years yeah yeah and so how are you like how are you kind of doing that with like you know the thick timber and woods and just like you know bears can be anywhere yeah so uh so like most bears in arkansas are, are killed over bait there's like a, there's like more than two zones but there's essentially two zones that are basically huntable Zone one's up in the Ozarks. That's like where Northwest Arkansas is and stuff. And the Ozarks have a ton of private inholdings, right? So there's like all these people have cabins and 10 acres and stuff within the National Forest. Mm-hmm. The Wachita's where I hunt, which is a different, you know, mountain range in Arkansas that runs from like basically like outside of Little Rock into the Badlands in Oklahoma. Uh, and there's not all those inholdings. So up in zone one, baiting is legal. And the reason baiting is legal is because it's hard to kill bears. And for 20 years, they were taking like 20 bears a year in Arkansas, and they need to take like 500. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm down in this place. All that to say, I'm at a place where, like, there's no baiting, right? So that automatically makes it a lot harder, right? It's also a low-density animal. But just like the fish thing, first thing to do is go where you know there's bears. Like, I know they're in the Wachita's. I know they're not going to be in the Delta where my duck lodge is, right? Yeah. So go to, go to the place where they're at, right? And then it was just walking. That's all it was. It was walking and going places. Like my buddy Clay Newcomb was like, dude, they're going to be in the thickest, nastiest stuff. So when I first started trying to find one, I just hunted the most miserable stuff. I, I took it a little bit too literally. And I just hunted the most miserable stuff. And I walked and I walked and I walked and I looked for sign. It took me 13 days to find a pile of bear scat. And like I was... I was getting a little worn out. You know, I mean, I'm averaging 10 miles a day. I'm driving three hours to go hunt and then driving three hours back at night and then turning around and doing this like day after day. But so I hunted all year, never saw a bear. And I basically just learned a bunch of places where they weren't. And then I went back and kind of refined that and didn't get one the next year. And then I went back again and I was getting my butt kicked. Well, it was opening day. I felt like I was getting my butt kicked and then I ran into one. And that was luck. Like, I came across a bear. But last year, what I did was 
I had keyed in. You know, I'd figured out they're not going to be where there's pine trees. They're going to be where there's food. They're going to be where there's white oaks. They're going to be where there's black gums. That's where they're eating where I'm at, right? And so I just walk that stuff, try and be quiet, try and play the wind a little bit. I'm looking for trees. You can tell when they've been up in a tree. They'll climb a tree like a squirrel and walk. And I've seen them do this. They whip right up there. They walk around the branches. They eat the acorns off the branches. If they haven't hit the ground yet, that's their food source. That's how they, you know, they enter that state of torpor. It's not true hibernation or whatever. But Yeah. And so... And then I'm looking and I'm finding bear poop. And I'm, you know, I probably kicked open 200 piles of bear poop when I was hunting this year. <laughs> I kick it open and be like, how long has it been there? And I'm like, well, you know, it's pretty freaking dry up here. The water holes are dried up. That thing, you know, it's not going to stay moist for as long, you know, and I'm just trying to figure that out. But basically, just do that, find the freshest poop you can find, and then hang out. Yeah. And I did that. I found, I had two, I didn't even tell you this because I missed a bear last year before I killed the other one. I, I was down in this spot, and I was just getting worn out by mosquitoes and whatever, man. I was about to take a picture for Instagram with just like this this bear mark tree where it got yeah. up and scraped, and I hear something. And you know, like you just keyed in. You can tell it's something of size and just coming out of this gunch, uh, you know, just like growed up stuff like greenbrier and poke and all that stuff. This I see the shape of a bear, right? And I was like, oh. And then I saw another one, and I got scared because I was like, that's a mama and cubs. I was like, I'm up. And they're like 30 yards away from me, and I still can't see them clearly. Were you in a tree at this point? And I was on the ground. Oh, okay. And uh, I, these two bears popped out, big bears. I mean, big bears where I live. I'd say 300 pounds each. Yeah. Dude, this was so cool, dude. They came out. I'm 25 yards from them, and they'd start wrestling. They're playing, man. I mean, it's amazing. They're like wrestling, playing. <laughs> one gets like laying on its back. And then the other one gets up and, like, kind of goes back to the thick stuff and just feeding around. And this one's just, like, laying on his back and looks like Baloo or something, you know. <laughs> and anyway, it's thick. Long story short, I got drawn back on one. And I was, you know, couldn't make it happen. So when I was trying to release, when I was trying to, you know, let, let down, down, I bumped the trigger. And I shot, I shot an arrow straight into a tree root. Uh, I mean, like, buried it, right? I was like, dang it. But they, they didn't really uh, booger. So I got another one on there, and I, like, took my time, and I lined up. And I had, like, a spot, like, probably about a beach ball spot to shoot through. I'm, you know, it was 23 yards. Like, I felt like I could make that, right? I took my time. I shot, and I heard whack. And I was like, like, I hit something, right? But the bear just, like, stood up, and or he was already standing up, but he kind of, like, went forward a little bit and just looked around and then went back to doing his thing, right? And I was like, what is going on? And so I got three, I had three killing arrows. And so I tried to shoot another one. And then he, like, boogered off. He, he like, jumped because that one made a big smack. And he jumped off, and he ran up 20 yards from me, clear as day, nothing in between us. I got no more arrows, right? <laughs> and he never, like, saw me. He never – he just sauntered off. So I go down there, and I'm – you know, I'm like, dude, I'm going to have to trail this bear or whatever. I find both the arrows. There's no hair. There's no blood. One's in a tree. One's, like, down in this dry creek bottom. Long story short, I replaced my broadheads and I put, somehow I messed up and I put 85 grain broadheads on this thing instead of my hundreds and they just flew wonky, you know? And I, dude, you want to talk about soul crushing. I'm like, I just had that many opportunities and like at 20 yards. But so what I did was I sat there for like an hour, snuck out of there, came back a day and a half later in the afternoon went up a tree. I was like, dude, I'm gonna, I am gotta get up above this gunch 
So I'm not take that out of my equation. Yeah. And I just sat in the tree, man, and I read a book. And I got like to the last page of the book, and I put it down and put it in my uh, my little pocket on my vest there. And like a minute later, this other bear came out, and I got like a great shot, which is like I'm totally fine with, man. Like I had some failure. What I what would have really messed me up is if I had put a bad shot on that bear. Yeah. You know, like. Uh, but I learned a lesson too, right? Like, I just like one little mistake, and it's because like. I'm using the same arrow setup for 10 years. Like, all I got to do is swap the broadhead. You know, it's the exact same thing. It's flying the same. Like, they're, I got the inserts in. They line up with my veins. However, you know, I've learned how to do it. Uh, but, yeah, man, I just, like, grabbed the wrong thing. And, the, and, I'm like, and then I'm, like, back in the truck, and I'm, like, looking. I'm, like, dude, it ate all. Like, you know, and it's, like, it was preventable if I had been a bit more thorough. And so it was, it was like, a lesson I learned that was harmless, like, no bears were hurt in the making of this hunt, right? Yeah, no, and I mean that, that's good on you to keep keep after it and keep like trying because that's that's a soul crushing thing of like just like everything like you feel you, say you go into that and you feel confident and then you just feel like at the lowest of lows like I can't do anything you know at least that's the way I get sometimes. I would have like, had to stop hunting for the season if yeah. I if I had found blood, I would have been done. Yeah, you know, and 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 two so there was um there was another point in that that when we were talking before you were talking about kind of hunting that middle of the day even when it's hot oh bear like 30 the, yeah bear, bear yeah, 30. yeah yeah what's bear 30 well and i've talked to josh boyd about this and he's hunting like montana and stuff and it seems like it's seems like it's true and like bear 30 comes from clay newcomb uh like i was talking on the phone to him the day i was driving up and i did get that bear and he was like yeah man bear 30 you're on it but anyway, just for my anecdotal evidence, I'm not, you know, when I started going, I was like doing it like deer hunting. Like I'm out there an hour before sunrise. Uh, I was never seeing bears. And I've got the conclusion, and this is other people have said this, I'm repeating other people's information, but like, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to sneak into the woods to bear hunt before the sun's up because I can't see anything. And I think I got way more of a chance of bumping a bear, right? Uh, it seems to me that they're very active, especially in Arkansas, like season this year opens up on the 13th of September. It'll be in the nineties. seems to me they're like pretty active in the evening, right around, you know, that first light, they're going to go and bed 300 yards away, like from their acorn patch or their berry patch or whatever and chill. And then maybe two thirty, three o'clock start getting late afternoon. They might come back out and, you know, start feeding again. So it seemed like my efforts were were better concentrated like now I still like feel like I'm missing something if I'm not out there, so I'm talking about like ten o'clock maybe head out there. Yeah. And then hunt till dark. Uh but yeah, you know, it's just like I was looking at something on your Instagram page, uh, talking about like do you want to put miles in or do you want to put good miles in? Yeah. You know, like I can go sit out there and t- from five thirty to noon, but I think my time would be better spent from ten o'clock to six thirty. No, no, that's no, that's that's exactly right. And I've talked to you know a ton of successful whitetail hunters and stuff, and it's like yeah, just what you said, like the good, you know, putting in the good miles and focused effort versus, uh, you know, like there was a guy that I just had on last week on the the podcast. And he was talking about hunting these thermal hub systems, and he's like, if you go into the spot too early 
your thermals are blowing up in mm-hmm. if that buck's bedded up there you're gonna blow them out he's like it sounds ridiculous but there's really only an hour out of that day where you have a chance of killing them because of the the wind as far as you know blowing up to him waiting those thermals drop the sun goes down and starts swooping down that's when you go in to make the kill and it's like for me i've always had trouble with that because it feels like you're wasting time or you're being yeah. lazy or or anything but it's it's on i mean it's just kind of taking the facts or what's thrown at you and and using that smart versus just trying to you know manpower it or you know outwork it well you know what i mean look i still enjoy that part of the hunt right like i i really really like walking in the woods and finding small things that I that are new to me, right? Like, yeah. oh man, that's the first time I found some owl pellets. Oh man, that's the first time I found like a chinkapin oak, right? Like this kind of acorn. Or, I mean, like I'm talking about like boy in a creek type stuff. I love it. Like, oh, here's a little pool in the middle of the Wachita's like this big, and there's crayfish and stuff. And I can tell in the algae where the raccoons have been scraping their hands trying to catch these. Like, I love that stuff, right? Do all that stuff before season. Spend all day out there stinking up the woods before, figure out, get some idea what's going on. Like, all that walking around and being in these mountains and stuff, like, I was trying to get down in the bottom, like, way down in the bottoms, you know, like, hollers where I'm from, that's what you call it. Right? Yeah. And it, the way this this piece of land is, man, is, and I don't, I, I'm trying to talk around this, I don't want nobody to know where I'm hunting at, but uh, <laughs> it's, like, you start, you start up top, high, yeah. right? And then if you want to get down to the bottom one, it's hard as hell. Like, you're sliding down scree slides or, like, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to tie ropes. It's, like, gnarly, right? Probably not safe and smart. Uh, but the wind and the thermals are doing something completely different on the top. Like, they're, it's going up in the morning, right? Yep. But you get about halfway down that mountain and it starts to go down, especially if there's a body of water that's pulling. Yes. Right? There was no way, there was no way because of, the one side of it was landlocked by private. I the best way to be coming downstream and walk up against the thermals. I couldn't, and it's like, dude, I could bust my tail, and all I'm going to be doing is broadcasting my scent down this the middle of this holler, and just frustrating myself. And you know what? Well, I killed these bears. I killed them up top. You know, like because I can't beat a bear's nose. No, you can't. And and, and you just made such a good point too of like. And you being in there early is what made you learn as far as what the thermals and stuff are doing. Yeah. Because you could go to another area five miles down the road that looks similar, but maybe the body of water isn't as big. Or maybe there's not as much shade down lower. And maybe that still you have an upward thermal lower down. But it's all dependent on that specific area. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah, yeah. all so specific. And, and, you know, we run into that a lot with access. Like you can you can map out perfect access relatively easy by just using some common sense with wind mm-hmm. and thermals but it's not always possible yeah you know especially yeah you have access on top or maybe you just have access in the bottom whatever it is or there's private land or what and there's a spot i'm hunting in west virginia it's like that it's like i found the spot that i think i could kill a buck it's just mm-hmm. like you know just a real steep draw coming up and just a little flat spot that's there and it's real steep again it's like these deer are walking right there yeah. it's perfect but you know to come in on it i can't come in from the bottom because it's private down there yeah. it's like how am i going to get in there without alerting all these deers i come up over especially in the morning i really can't hunt in the morning because all the thermals are going to be dropping down and just like broadcasting my scent down through and it's just that's the reality of it dude my plan 
until I find all that sign up top. And like, that's where I, I saw like, I think it was last year, I saw like six bears in three days, which is like, before that, I had seen one bear and I killed it. You know what I mean? Like, it was a lot of bears for me. My plan was to get down in that bottom like three days early, get down on the downwind side and camp down there. And wait for opening day, man. Yeah. And like, just, dude, I've had real good success, like, just in life, just doing stuff that other people don't see any value in. Off the wall stuff. Dude, like, I bought that old church that I turned into a lodge, man. Like, that was an old rotten shithole to most people, right? I mean, that's what it was, you know? But there was like a story there. And like, with effort and like some intentionality, I turned it into something that, you know, like, other people see more value in now right and and is exponentially more special to me yeah right like being like uh man i, I really want to try and like you know spot and stalk a bear in the woods with a bow like it's it's a low success activity you know like there was no validation from it for years you know but uh the the most validating parts of it are not getting the bears the most validating parts to me were figuring out where the bears were and seeing them you know and i mean everyone's doing stuff for different reasons but like that's that's what i'm looking for that's like part of the experience that i want for it you know yeah you know you know that's I, i'm glad you said that you know like the so there was uh a couple years ago i went to new york and i hadn't hunted there before at all first time into a spot just killed a deer in pennsylvania i was like i'm gonna go to new york and just have fun with it i said yeah. i'm not i'm not gonna have any goals as far as size or age of deer or anything like my goal is to kill a buck there and i wanted to do it by just like scouting finding them and and hunting essentially yeah. and i was i worked up and i was finding just hunter sign everywhere and i was like there's tree stands all over and you know i was like all right i got up to the top and the thermal started coming up and i'm like i'm just gonna work these benches around and try to find a feed tree that's mm -hmm. dropping it was a little bit you know, middle of October and I started coming down and all of a sudden I, I caught movement and I glass and there's a, there's a small buck just sitting when there. When you say a feed tree, are you hunting acorns? Uh, that's what I was looking for mm -hmm. was acorns. That, that specific spot, there was actually not any, I don't remember. I'm not trying to remember the details if it was acorns or beech nuts, but, uh, something was dropping there and I saw, I saw the deer, you know, he's feeding in there. And I'm like, I was like, if I can get, I mean, he was, he was a he was a small young deer and i was like if i can get you know within 40 yards of this deer then i'm gonna shoot him and yeah. i just like just kept you know sliding in and just you know checking the wind and moving in using the you know the big oaks that were around to kind of you know block me i remember getting to this spot i got to like 45 yards of him and i look and he's <laughs> he uh he caught my movement yeah. or something and i just stop so my dad always told me he's like when a deer's looking at you take your hand the back of your hand and just go like this oh like it's a tail like flick it's a tail flick so i did that and then i tucked behind the tree and i just gave a couple of soft grunts mm -hmm. and i'm just like peeking around i can't see his face at this point and i see his tail just start you know he got comfortable really? again and it's a young deer it might not sure. have worked on an older deer but he just got comfortable again and i just watched him feed and feed and feed and coming up and i got him in range and Ended up drawing back, shooting, putting a perfect shot on him. He went down over and died right there. And I was just like, this was awesome. And I quartered him up and packed him up, packed him up in my pack and, uh, you know, packed him out to the truck and just, 
yeah, that was, that was it. And I was like, that was so fulfilling to me. I had just, you know, two weeks before that shot the biggest buck of my life. And then I just shot the smallest buck and they both meant the same thing. Yeah. It was yeah, like yeah, yeah. a totally different, uh, scenario and just fun to try something new and learn and challenge myself to do that on the ground and, you know, stalking in and it was Well, just it's also fun. seeing like where, where your proficiency has taken you, right? Like I always tell people, people that, you know, like for duck hunters, Arkansas is kind of like the, the Mecca for American duck hunting, right? A lot of cultural value there, a ton of pressure, uh, you know, and I actually like, I, I don't want, I don't want to see anybody else when I'm hunting, if I can help it. Like, I'm not looking to interact with other hunters, any of that junk, dude. Like, I want to pretend there's no one else. I'm Daniel Boone, right? You know, like, that's what I'm trying to do. And what it, but what the competition factor in Arkansas has done is that your proficiency level in, like, your duck IQ, if you're hunting public land, you know, which is incredibly pressured, it, you've got to get it to a point to where, when you then take that someplace else, like, I mean, a mediocre public land duck hunter in Arkansas is way better than, like, a badass in a lot of other places. It's just because, I mean, like, calling is so important. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of social cachet in Arkansas with duck calling too, right? But I've been shocked. Like, I went to California, this, like, super, uh, it was this, uh, it was like this super fancy duck lodge, used to be owned by the, guy that owned the oakland a's and now california waterfowl has it uh i mean and they're ducks there's ducks everywhere and there's like people shooting ducks but they're past shooting ducks like there's wads of ducks flying by and they shoot them right and i was like like i'm i want to work ducks you know yeah i want to break ducks turn them and get them to drop down and uh i was like dude you can just sit out here and shoot ducks like <laughs> I mean, I've, I've passed shot a few birds in Arkansas, man, but like, those birds are wily. They're at the bottom of a. They're right at the bottom of a migration line where they've been harassed. And there's every there's a tree behind every Yahoo in Arkansas, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> like, I get a lot of validation from. Uh, you, I don't get validation from like uh, size of an animal or the amount of the animal. I get validation from. Uh, getting in there with them and feeling like I'm operating with them on, on their turf. Yeah, no, no, that, that, that totally makes sense. And, you know, you were mentioning earlier about like how you don't use trail cameras or anything. And like in my home state of Pennsylvania, I use, I use trail cameras a lot and mm -hmm. I love data and I love trying to figure out that and try to find trends and understand that. And that's where I think like that New York hunt was so special to me. Cause it was like, I just took, like I, I do love doing that, but at the same time, sometimes I just want to go just hunt, just yeah, and yeah, yeah. and take a different, different approach to it. And I, I have a lot of buddies that are the same way as you of just like, I, I don't, I want to just be surprised, you know, and just use read sign and just you know, and when something comes in and I shoot, it's like holy cow, this is amazing, it worked out, you know, that that sort of surprise where like when you're running. Uh, you know, a lot of trail cameras and stuff, a lot of times you're like, oh, there's that buck, you know, yeah, yeah, that yeah. You, you see. And, and, and they each have their kind of own places for me personally and and uh, a, a different fulfillment factor when it Well, when it's it a personality to type too, man. Like I'm a person, I'm a person that like I think I'm really like internally self-reflective, uh, but I am not, I am not like a numbers analytical person. You know, like I went to college, I was a humanities major. 
Like I was like reading and like interpreting the why of stuff. Like in high school, my my uh my junior my junior year uh, algebra teacher, because you had a choice senior year to take math or not. He's like, dude, if you take math, you're not gonna graduate high school. And like some people are comforted by numbers, and like if you do this and you do this, you'll get that result. And that doesn't that doesn't comfort me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like trying to trying to work hard and get good at something, and then like trusting my gut and my heart. That's what that's what like makes me feel good, you know. And yeah. uh, and then I get a you know ton, you know, like obviously I do a lot with like wild food and like cooking and teaching people that stuff, and I get a ton of validation from like preparing good meals with stuff and sharing that with people that I give a shit about because it's like, it's being able to share. I mean, most of the people that I hang out with in Arkansas, like they don't hunt. They, they've got no, the only exposure to like wild game they have is through me. And like, it's incredibly validating to like be watching our kids play, you know, and we're like all dadding it up there with our little short shorts or whatever and (laughs) drinking some beers and eating, you know, eating some venison sliders or whatever it is, man. Like that's a, so for to me, man, like the hunt's never really stopping. Like it's all part of it, right? Yeah, no. It, I, and first of all, for anybody listening, like I was lucky enough last night to have one of your meals. Oh and, yeah, we had some grubs. Man. Oh man, it was that was incredible. I, I, uh, I think that's so awesome how how you do that and take such passion. I saw you over here picking some stuff that was like, oh yeah. What, yeah. what were you doing there as far as like for the meal? Uh, well, so I just ended up. I just like went down to a creek. But that, like, comes in – see, that's where – like, you're talking about woodsmanship, right? Yeah. Like, we're out here – I don't know what you would call it. I mean, this is, like, stuff I'm not familiar with that much. It's like, aspen, it's – You got you got a mixture of, uh, like, aspen groves and high desert is, I think yeah. is what it's called. So it's like, you know where you're probably going to find stuff is where there's water. So I just, like, go down to the creek in that little Elantra that I rented. Uh, <laughs> and, like, there's all sorts of stuff that you could eat down there, right? There's, like, tons of dandelions, which, you know – like, the dandelions that we're used to are European invasive. Uh like American native dandelions are very, very small. So like I go pick some invasive dandelions, right? I pick this stuff. It's called like Milna, which you could really make teas and stuff out. I didn't use it. Some of this thistle you could shave down. and But it's like just that. So like the salad was like mixed grains, chopped iceberg, like this ginger dressing I made. And then like a bunch of just chopped up dandelion in it. And it, it, it rooted you, knew not to go too far, but it like roots you to the place that we're in. You know, this idea of terroir. I'm real big in like cooking critters with the stuff they eat you know like take duck you ever processed acorns and eating acorns no it's a pain in the ass but it's like worth it and it's cool to do but you have to like leach the tannins out a bunch and then you like roast them and but man like you take a wood duck you take the legs and thighs off a wood duck and you like you know braise that down and then maybe like mix it with a little bit of like parmesan reggiano some sort of hard cheese right and then like a uh, some like coarse ground acorns right because that's what they're eating even kill a wood duck you can pop the acorns out of their throat right and you stuff that in like a little a little very simple just eggs and flour pasta dough make a little ravioli right and you give someone a plate of that right that hits way different than like i got a bunch of beet sticks made see you can already tell how i feel about that (laughs) uh, that hits real different you know and it's like it's, it's very connecting and it's very grounding. And, like, you know, you could really get self-righteous about it. And, you know, like, the French term would be terroir, right? That, that's what they talk about, like, with, you know, like, you grow this specific grape in this soil, in this soil type, you know, the terroir of it, the terrain, the dirt influences that thing. And it, you, 
you taste it, right? Like that communicates. So like if I serve, like we met two days ago, right? Yeah. And I like to talk and we've been talking and, you know, and the beers and stuff or whatever, right? But like if you want to know who Jonathan Wilkins is, man, like that meal I gave you, that communicates who I am. It communicates what's important to me. It communicates the, the food that I feed my family, like how I sustain myself and the people that I care about. It's like how I put stuff together. Like that, that's a way to communicate who you are. You're telling the story with that, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's like, that's important to me, man. And it, uh, it's not always the, the thing that gets like the clicks, but it's the thing that makes me happy. And like, be able to be okay with being away from my family, you know, and I feel like I should be wiping di- diaper butts or whatever. Yeah, and and also like one one thing is like kind of unique this event that we're at specifically, mm-hmm. we have some media people here that are non-hunters. Sure. And I think that really speaks to them as far as being able to see just watch you, you know, in the kitchen that was like a hundred degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I, yeah they don't have air conditioning in these Utah places, evidently. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> Probably because it was covered in like eight foot of snow yeah, like yeah, a month yeah. ago. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but just like seeing the amount of time that you take into doing this and making these special dishes, and that's that's super cool. And I didn't I didn't realize that you had done that like everywhere as far as like trying to cook the game or whatever that you have with some of the surroundings or what they're I mean look and like, not always no I'm not saying I'm making that every night dude no I know <laughs> but like but you know what like a lot of nights like this is like one of my kids favorite meals man is uh like I'm busy I got three kids man I got stuff to do right like I'll spend 10 minutes in the morning like I'll sear off a bear roast their favorite thing to eat at the house is bear and like speckled bellies right so like sear off a bear roast throw in a crock pot with some stuff just crock pot like midwest mom now, I step it up a little bit because, like, I don't buy chicken stock. Like, I roast the bones. Like, I got sandhill crane stock and duck stock and bear stock and elk stock, like, all that stuff in my house. So I just pour jars of that in there. And then I come home and, uh, like, real talk. Anyone who's listening to this, let me look in there. Dude, <laughs> I'm a t- I've worked in restaurants. I've had restaurants. I've cooked professionally. Dude, crock pot bear roast, canned green beans, uh, Bob Evans mashed potatoes from the cold aisle at the grocery store. That's like a 10-minute meal. Feeds my whole family. They love it. And I get to sit there and be so stoked that I'm watching my four-year-old or my three-year-old just mow down on a bear. You know, or like every Christmas they're sitting there just ripping, eating speckle belly goose legs. And, dude, that's like, that's serious. That stuff makes me so happy. It, it's like, it's like being able to share what's, like maybe you play baseball and you like get to see your kid hit a home run, man. That's like me getting to see that every night. And it, so it doesn't have to be complicated. There ain't no one, anyone who's like these wild game cooks and everything is like a production, they ain't got kids. They ain't got a family. You know, they don't know what it's like to like get puked on at three in the morning and still have to like get your kids ready and go to work and stuff. And like my kids eat a lot of whitetail spaghetti, you know? Yeah. They eat a lot of like. That's one of my favorites. Dude, there's nothing wrong with it. It's way more honest than <laughs> going to Walmart and getting ground chuck. My kids eat a lot of like duck breasts. My six year old had a birthday party. We just went up to the park, had her friends, and I had, like, bear carnitas and wild boar carnitas and, like, ducks. And I just had, like, a taco bar. And, you know, I dressed it up, all this, you know, accoutrement stuff. But, dude, those little kids were playing on a slide a half mile from my house eating bear tacos and just loving having a great time, you know? Yeah. And, dude, I mean, I felt like a G. Yeah. Like, I felt like a straight G, man. I'm like, yeah, that's what – 
uh, Ben O'Brien is a buddy of mine. Uh, and we were talking, our kids are like all kind of the same age. And I was like, yeah, my kid asked for duck tacos for her for uh, her birthday and it was like it was like a flex yeah. you know? and he was like dude you got a cool kid yeah. can I ask you a question since yeah. you've been interviewing me this whole time yeah yeah okay so like what I'm real interested in is uh, like with this, the, this hunting space what's kind of interesting to me is like folks that have like you're essentially creating your own brand right I mean it's not essentially that's what it is yeah I've got Black Duck Revival right you've got East Meets West some people like their entire brand is their their name or whatever right like you got like Dudley or whoever it might be right uh, but for all intents and purposes man this is like a very non-traditional way to make a living right yeah in many ways it's very fraught because you know like you're you know like the it's from the outside it seems like oh you get a bunch of free gear man and it's like dude you're like constantly have to figure out how to get sponsorships for this, like, uh, whatever, yeah. right? So, and you said, how old did you say you were? I'm 31. 31, right? Prime of your life, man. Uh, how, when you decided to do this, like, not at the level you're at now, but when you decided to do this, right? When you're like, I'm not going to have a nine to five. I'm going to try and make this work, right? Yeah. Uh, even if you, I mean, like, to me, that stuff is exciting and also, like, wholly terrifying, right? Like, I had a kid, I had a wife, I had a mortgage, you know, I was, like, a firefighter, and I was, like, dude, that's not serving me. I mean, the, the kid and the wife did, but yeah. the other thing, that's not serving me. Like, I got to do what makes me happy. Like, and what I like to do is, like, work with my hands. I like swinging a hammer. But I don't want to build your project. I want to do, build my own stuff. Yeah. You know, I like doing that. I like going to junkyards and having treasure hunts and finding shit. I like cooking meals, you know. I like straight up, man, I like drinking beer. You yeah. know, like I really have really come around to champagne. Really? Oh, dude. You're a champagne guy. Dude, you wouldn't think it. You know what I really like? Some champagne. I like sparkling rosé. Okay. And, you know, it's what we were talking about, too, man. Like, what have I got to prove, man? Yeah. Like, I've done a bunch of hard stuff, dude. That stuff tastes good. Yeah. No. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, but, anyway, what, like, when that when that hit and you're like, I'm going to do this, man, like, what what gave you the confidence to say, like, I can go, uh, you know, I can blaze my own path. I can make my own way. I guess I guess for me it was, like, I – I started to see there, there's a couple different things there. I, I had a little bit of confidence build up when I started seeing people asking a lot of questions or like when it started, you know, my podcast was really about like trying and it still is finding adventure. Like how do you mm. define adventure, which can be going to like the most epic place in Alaska, or it could be finding adventure in your own backyard and figuring out how to, to, to do that. And when I started getting you know, messages from people that were like, man, like, you helped me, you know, plan my first Colorado elk hunt. I've never mm -hmm. been east or west of the Mississippi. Like, it was so, you know, eye-opening. I spent all year getting in shape for it. I was eating cleaner. I was just like, you know, become a better man or woman at home because of all this and this discipline that it came with it. Like, I just felt good about that. And honestly, as far as, like, making it as a living, the only thing that I have, I'm not – I'm not really talented at anything, but what I what I am, I feel like good at is not quitting at anything. Yeah. And I felt like that if I spent enough time doing this and just learning and and crafting these things over time, that that I could do it. And if I just didn't quit and just kept 
see, okay, something didn't work. All right, I need to shift a little bit. And then just being myself and, and, and doing yeah. that thing for a long period of time, I was like, I don't see how it doesn't work. And it wasn't, and that's not me saying like, oh, I think I'm the, you know, the best in the world at anything. It's not the case at all. It was just like, if I put effort into it. Now, I was in a little bit different situation. Not married, yeah, didn't yeah. have kids. So it was a less less risk that came with it. But I had, you know, I went to college. I had a really good job. What, were, had, you do, what were you doing before? I was environmental health and safety manager for a manufacturing facility. Oh, man. So, yeah, so I dealt with um air permits and water quality and and safety OSHA. training and osha yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. different stuff and and honestly i really i really didn't love doing that at all yeah. and 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 i understand that like you're not always going to love the things that you do and like you know what people see of what we do are like the highlights of it there's like you said there's, <coughs> there's so much risk that's involved with it not un- knowing you're not just getting a paycheck every two weeks and like you know one month might be great the next month might be terrible or sure. year to year and it's like but for me it was like i want to i need to at least give this a shot and just go all in on it and see what i can do to to, to make this life fulfilling for me and what i want to do and and that's just kind of how I took it. And honestly, you know, as analytical as I say that I am, there wasn't a whole lot of analytical. If I would have really dove too, too deep into this, I probably would have talked myself out. Sure. Sure. Because there's, there's a lot of unknowns and it was more of trusting my gut that I could do it and, and figure it out. Dude, that like that not quitting is now I will say, dude, like some, you do have to know when to walk away from something. And I've had to do that many times. Right. But like, I've, I think that's kind of one of my skill sets, man. Is just like endurance. Yeah. Like, dude, I roofed houses for a long time, man. Like, I worked in kitchens for a long time. I've been on some hunts with like dudes that are way younger than me and in like way better shape. But like those cats ain't never like hauled shingles for sixteen hours for a hundred dollars a day because they didn't have food to eat. Like yeah. they're like that blue collar. I got lots of issues with like. <laughs> you know like how unhealthy a lot of blue collar like construction environments and stuff are dude but like man them sons of bitches are tough and those those dudes like the, you know i worked with you know rednecks in arkansas man you know like i'm not saying redneck is a pejorative i'm talking about like country dudes in arkansas right i was the only one up on the roof that had a college degree right they thought i was a goofball because of the books i talk about or whatever man but like those dudes worked and they were tough and they didn't stop because they were uncomfortable yeah right like they didn't stop because they weren't necessarily being treated right like i've never i've never had a job where i was working in a positive environment i've only worked in jobs (laughs) where it's like dudes yelling and cursing and like wanting to fight and like that's most of the jobs i've worked yeah uh but i work them that way because like i cannot stand i could not stand to be in an office i did it for like six months and i couldn't stand it dude like it, it, it just like sucks the soul out of me man i like being outside you know like i like i this sounds weird i love waking up you ever been like if you ever like run a sledgehammer all day or just like been running a fence hole digger and like you wake up the next day and like your hands are like cramped yeah, yeah you can't even get them open all the way dude i felt like i earned it man you know and like and i'm seeing the detriment to it man like i've taken a beating dude like i've <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure the abuse I've put on my body, like when I started roofing houses and stuff, like I ain't but no one's wearing a face mask. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're just breathing in whatever. But, man, like, there's also this thing where life is so finite and so completely unpredictable. And, like, especially working as a first responder, man, like, and not to be morbid, but I've seen people, I've seen so many different ways that people died. I mean, just think of the most graphic stuff. Think of things you couldn't think about. Young, old, everything, man. You got no control over it. Like, I've seen lots of people that probably deserve to die that live to 100, and I've seen great people, innocents, just, you know, someone hits you on the highway and you're over, right? Yeah. Like, why not, why not try and live the most fulfilling life you can? Like, and I've tried, look, you're talking good, good months and badness. I've never had a great month. I'll be straight up with you. I've never had financially a great month doing this, man. But my kids, I think that what I'm showing my kids is super valuable, you know? Like, that that's not where fulfillment comes from, you know? Like, like I don't have, I can't go buy my family a half-million-dollar house, but I can buy a foreclosure and bust my ass and remodel that thing, which is what I did, and I put my family in a nice house, you know what I mean? Yeah. By working hard. Like, that's where I can bring value to them, you know? Like, I can't afford, and I'm not, like, impoverished or anything, but, like, I can't afford to go, like, spend $500 on a sushi dinner with my wife. You know what I mean? But I can bring her home something that no one else she knows gets. Yeah. You no. know? And I can cook that up for her and I can serve it to her and, and say, like, I love you and I value you and, like, I value this thing and I want you to have it because they're all important to me. Yeah, and you can say that without even saying it in a way. Yeah. Like, that's, and, and you like, can do that with whitetail spaghetti, man. One, one thing that, that I had learned from – definitely I mean I learned a lot from my dad but like one of the things was and it wasn't even that like he came to me and told me this it was just from watching it you know mm-hmm. as a kid I don't remember this because I was so young but he, you know he worked at a at a uh, place where he was working 16 18 hour days never home and he wasn't there when we were growing up younger and he finally made a decision like I'm not doing this anymore yeah. and he started his own business with some buddies of his and just you know grinded out took a giant pay cut to do it and just like make that thing happen and and you know seeing that and now like you know you know and he spent so much time in the woods you know teaching me like that's where i learned most of my stuff was through him i've been yeah. super lucky no I've, yeah to, i've to, heard you it's several times already you've like referenced dude and isn't that and like you don't have kids yet i mean yeah. you kind of get it man but like that's some real powerful shit yeah. right like that's what being somebody's daddy is supposed to be yep. you know and I said this to somebody the other day. It would, I can't remember who, man, but like I've almost died probably six times, right? Like real close. Like some, like just doing different stuff. I mean, like nothing illegal or anything, but like <laughs> I've just like thought it was going to be over, right? And I can tell you, I know what I thought about. And I know the last time it almost happened. I know the last time I was in a fire and it was like so hot and I was like, this is, this is starting to hurt. Like I got gear on and my, like when you're, when your tip of your ears burn, dude, like you're in bad shape. It's like 1,200 degrees in there. You got to get out, right? And I know what I thought about when that happened. When I was crawling out of that thing, pitch black, all that smoke, and I was crawling out, following the line to try and get out before this because th- we thought the house was going to go, like blow. And it was my wife and my kids. It wasn't how much money I had in the bank account. It wasn't what Joe Schmo down the block thought of me. I mean, like we're all con- we're all consumed with like what does this person think of me? Like how am I coming off, man? But like when it comes down to it, and people get, there's all these deathbed confessions of people like, oh, I wish I had loved harder and I wish I had worked less. 
is like, how about you don't wait till you're 80 to come to that realization and you do it on the front end, man. Because I, I, I also haven't met, as long as you got your basics covered, like you have shelter, food, clothes, you know, like it's nice to be able to do a little something extra. But I've never seen someone grow up and be mad at their parents about that. I've seen people never get over the fact that their parents weren't with them, that their parents didn't spend time with them, that they didn't, they weren't involved in the stuff that was important to their mom and dad. Right. Yeah. And like, dude, I want my kids around me, man. Like I want, I, I doubt that they'll go find an old church and turn it into a lodge and then drive around in a van chasing turkeys. But I want them, <laughs> I want them around me and I want them to feel capable and whatever they're doing. I mean, and like, let's be real, man. Like, I exist in a space where I like stick out. Like, there ain't no duck hunters with afros. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but I'm not going to let somebody tell me that I can't do this thing that I love, you know? And I don't, like, I got two little girls. I don't want them telling someone, telling them. My, my daughter said something about baseball is for boys. And I, like, got in her face. And I was like, you listen here. You don't play baseball. You're playing baseball. Now, if you don't like it, that's one thing. But don't you ever tell me that you can't do that, you know? Yeah. Like, you might do it and not be good at it, but, like, you want to do that, you do it. And there's a ton you're going to learn from messing up. I've learned way more from not getting critters than I have from getting them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I would say, like, the toughest seasons when it comes to, like, deer hunting or whatever are the ones I learn from the most than the ones that work out, you know, the first day or whatever. I always joke about, like – elk hunting so it took me four years to kill an elk Mm -hmm. i came out and first time was a seven-day trip you're just coming out and scouting public and hunting just hunting public going in backpacking truck camping the whole deal sure and second year i think i went 10 days third year i went 14 days Mm. i still never killed an elk my fourth year on the first day of a 14 day hunt I killed my bull, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's crazy. You know, got done the first day. I said, that's day 40. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't, you know, and it might have been the first day of that year, but there was a lot of well, time. Well, longer than that, man, because you were rethinking everything that went wrong. Why didn't I do this? I mean, yeah. like, dude, that stuff lives in my head, and honestly, it eats at me until I can get over it, you know, and, like, probably to a little bit of an unhealthy level, like, I should be able to let it go a little bit more. And I can once I've, like, gotten over it. But, man, when you got to ride a year out being like, oh, if I'd only done this one thing a little bit different, uh, it stinks, but it also makes the success, like, so much more. The Man, I can think of a thing right now where uh, last year I was hunting in West Virginia and I was there by myself and sleeping in a tent, you know, by myself, and I – I'd run, run myself down. I was just on a hunt, and I decided that I was going to hurry up and get down to West mm-hmm. Virginia, and I drove through the night, and I got sick because I just my body was run yeah. down. And I knew this spot. I found this spot in October, and I was like, if I sit there for four days, I'm going to kill a buck. Like, I was that confident in it. Well, then I started, you know, I was, you know, I said I wasn't feeling well, and I was just like, you know, kind of made some excuses on yeah. why not to go there. It was hard to get to. Didn't go there. <laughs> what do you know? I checked my camera three out of those four days. And nice buck came through yeah. there. And I keep just kicking myself in the ass. I'm like, I didn't leave it all on the table to be able to do that. And it was more of like what I should have did was took a day of rest. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. went not saying that, oh, I should have just, you know, you know, grinded it out. I should have been smarter about it and did that. But I think about those things all the time. Whereas, you know, it, it that that's such a, a learning lesson that 
hopefully, if I'm smart, I'll learn from that in the coming years. And when you have those gut feelings, act on them and yeah. be able to do that. And I feel like that that translates to any portion of your life and mm-hmm. anything. And I just, I don't know, man. I just, uh, I I love it, and I just like I really try to just like put it all on the table. And like I said, I I've been super lucky. I think one of the things with this podcast is I've learned that there's a lot of people and you know, you said yourself, you didn't grow up in a hunting family. There's a lot of people that don't haven't had the, the fortunate ability that I have with having great teachers and a whole family that Mm -hmm. did it. My grandfather's and like, you know, I was, I was shooting guns way before I should have been like as far as, as a kid and going out and hunting squirrels and doing all this thing. And like, you know, making those steps where like a lot of people don't, have some of those abilities and they and they want to learn it so it's like if i can help do that and help people experience some of those things you know by them learning stuff through you know us talking or whatever else or videos that that i'm able to do that's fulfilling to me yeah man i mean you're like you're like the world's big brother right yeah uh and it's like dude same thing with me like i didn't have that like i didn't have I had, like, a father who taught me a ton about life and, like, how to work and all that. But, like, my dad wasn't hunting, you know. Like, we didn't have guns in the house. I wasn't allowed to have water guns until I was, like, 12, man. You know, like, I couldn't watch The Simpsons. Like, <laughs> my parents were my parents were teachers. Like, they, they focused on education, like, reading, all that stuff, right? But it's, it, it, it's transferable, too, man, because, like, my hunting skill, I've had great friends that have taught me stuff. And I've, you know, had mentors. Uh, but ultimately, man, like this is stuff I had to earn and get on my own. And I, I like sacrifice. Like when I just, when I did it for the first time, when I just started hunting squirrels with my homeboy one summer and I was like, I felt it was like, it felt something like was missing in my life and something felt right. You know? And I was like, dude, this is going to have to be prioritized in my life. I prioritize it over financial security. Uh, now again, I have to have a baseline cause I have children to take care of, but yeah. like I prioritize it really you know like above ambition like i guess you could say some ambition is tied up in it but it's also i've seen that it's really powerful when someone like whatever somebody from a city or someone who's like didn't grow up hunting for whatever reasons right they're like this dude like i killed my first animal at 27 i turned 40 in in march you know what i mean like i went hard man you know like i hadn't even been hunting for 10 years and i built a duck lodge right like I wanted it and it mattered to me and I put a bunch of effort into it and I got to a level of proficiency to where like now people, you know, like, dude, I did, I like led some panel in Arkansas, this duck dinner. And it's like me and like Jimbo Ronquist and like, if you don't hunt ducks, you don't know, man, but that it'd be like you, sh- you had never hunted until you were 27. Right. Yep. And then you're hanging out with, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know, uh, Randy Newberg and Will Primos and, uh, Old Chuck Adams, or yeah, Chuck like Adams. All, you know, yeah. old Chuck Adams. You got a Chuck Adams mustache, dog. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Hey, look, look in the mirror. <laughs> uh, but it's that's really validating too, because it shows that effort, effort, and and wanting to, I think, can get get you past uh, a lack of experience, and to some degrees too. Like, I didn't have to unlearn, like. Maybe maybe my grandpa would have just been like a dirtbag bad hunter, 
And that's what I learned for 15 years. And then I'd have to unlearn that. Yeah. You know, like I kind of got to cherry pick who I was taking information yeah, you're just from. Just shooting deer out of the truck window. Oh, dude. Yeah. There's all sorts. I mean, that really happens. They'll you know definitely what I mean? Does. Or shit, especially in the South, you know, like these old outlaws, like, man, I ain't, I ain't paying the government to fish. You no, know? That's not just a Southern thing, believe me. Yo, yeah, yeah. No, it's all. We kind of like the South kind of like uh, glorifies outlaws, though. Yeah. You know, like it's. And it, there's many reasons for it, but <laughs> yeah, dude. And then like seeing people that get a that aren't experienced get encouragement from that, and you know that's like a, the hunt. A lot of the hunts I run, I get like new folks come through, and like working with them and watching them like have that success, and like dude, you just help them get to something that can never be taken away from them. You know what I mean? And maybe not the skill set, but the experience, man. You know, like I've had people that I've killed. I've had quite a few people. It's their first bird they've ever killed. You know, it's like a person and their kid comes and they hunt with their kid and their kid gets their first bird. And then they sit out there and they pluck birds with their kids. And like we roast hearts over the fire. And like you can see this kid is like feeling empowered and like, oh, man, I can, I can do some stuff. And like just because I'm uncomfortable and it's cold and rainy, like doesn't mean I – I don't just leave this for somebody else. I started this. I have a responsibility. It's a dude. It's so validating. It's it feels great, dude. And it's you know. So, so what? I guess that means that it's largely a narcissistic enterprise, right? Like you could say that's all for somebody else, but like I like the way it makes me feel. Yeah. And I justify it that I'm helping somebody, but <laughs> that's, I, that's a good way. If, I, if I was helping somebody and it made me feel bad, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. I. Uh, no, I I totally totally understand that. <laughs> what uh totally unrelated question, man? What's going? What's up with you and this mustache? How long are you gonna rock it for? So I don't know. I mean, it might be a lifelong thing. I've had it. I haven't shaved it since 2018. Since the day I started the podcast, mm-hmm. I've had it. I used to just have it during uh, the rut, and I yeah. call it the rut stash. Sure, sure. And uh, I've even I made shirts on it and everything like that. It was just like my thing. I just joked about it, and I had this mustache, and I went to total archery challenge that was the first place i set up a booth and recorded my first podcast mm-hmm. and uh, uh my buddy rob who works for total archery challenge was like i was telling him about this idea i had for a podcast but i was scared to do it and he's like let me get you hooked up with the booth space and uh you're gonna do it i'm like rob that's in three weeks he's like figure it out yeah and I, anyway so i went there and i had this mustache and uh um prime archery was there and the time i wasn't working with them i just worked for a bow shop on the side and uh they were like we want some like real consumers that are using our bows to uh you know give testimonies and i did this thing and it was in a commercial well i started the podcast and i and i had interviewed um i'd interviewed a guy and uh i was like tim burnett uh solo hunter and he was like tim's like you know what's weird he's like I get a bunch of messages. He's like, for some reason, like your picture popped up and I'm like, I've seen this guy before. Well, I was in his commercial for his TV show. Oh, yeah. And he's like, he's like, he's like a big brand guy. He's like, dude, you can't get rid of that thing. He's like, you're, that's, that's, oh, recognizable. That, that's your trademark now. That's, yeah. He's like, that's, and, and that's not the only reason why I keep it. I can't grow a beard. So that's why it's kind of like sure, my, sure. my grandfather has a big mustache and it's just like, I don't know. I just kind of kept it. So I haven't, I haven't decided if I'll, I'll, I'll uh, continue for a, a lifetime with it, but as of right now, I don't see it going anywhere. There you go, man. Yeah. I like it, dude. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of mullets and stashes lately. This is the first time in my life I've ever just had a mustache. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Now, I've had, like, big, like, biker foos like, before. Like, Manchu type stuff? Yeah, like, grow my beard. I mean, it would just be like, because I normally have a beard, and it would just be like me shave my cheeks and then cut the middle out of my mustache. Yeah. Uh, 
But, you know, dude, my kids wanted me to grow my hair out. They liked it. I was like, I'll grow my hair up for a while. It's kind of becoming annoying again. Uh, yeah. And then I was like, man, I've never, I've never had a mustache. Let me see what's up. My mom also was like really against it, so I did it to irritate her a bit. <laughs> uh, I, I've, uh, I've always kept my hair. Well, not I shouldn't say always. I, I usually keep my hair short, and I would like just grow it out during hunting season because I just, yeah, more so lazy to book a, a mm-hmm. hair appointment. And uh, but I've just kind of grown it out for the last year and uh, i just got it trimmed last week but it was a whole year since i even had it trimmed from having it completely like shaved yeah, yeah. to just letting it grow no trimming nothing it was just you know i didn't cut my is. hair for 10 years like i grew dread i had like three just three big giant dreadlocks did you really until i was like 28 yeah i think 28 man uh <laughs> and it just it just like practicality just got on my nerves man <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know i i think i'm I think I've done my mustache. I think I'm gonna let my beard grow back. And, oh yeah, yeah, man. I uh, you don't want to be associated with me. I get it. No, I mean I look like unemployed Neil deGrasse Tyson right now. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like <laughs> just get my get that beard back, man. That beard also like covers up that little jug jug. So <laughs> you know, I just I just let it come back. It'll be all right. Yeah. I've, I've irritated my mom and my wife enough. Yeah, that's that's really funny. These jokers look like they're trying to go shed hunt, man. Yeah, they think they are. <laughs> not without you huh no no i'm we we probably should wrap up i yeah. gotta do another video event i'm sure you got some stuff planned here and then you gotta get out of here today don't you yeah man i'm gonna go eat sushi in salt lake city with jay Byer and get my butt back to arkansas by noon tomorrow five hundred dollar sushi dinner uh, i'm no <laughs> no listen buyer's been spear fishing with justin lead in hawaii and he's making sushi. Oh. <laughs> I'm not going for no, yeah. I'm going to Byer's house to use his shower. You know, like, I've slept in his house a bunch. I've slept in my van outside his house a bunch, man. Like, Byer's house is, like, the place you go to to, like, hang out. Mm. His wife's real cool, man, real tough, cool lady, dude, sweetheart. You know, his kids are awesome. Uh, it's just really, any, any, experience, any excuse I get to hang out with that dude, man, like, he... He's the one who got me in with Sitka, man. Like, he took me on my only elk hunt, dude. Like, I love that guy, and I want to hang out with him. I mean, really. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And eat his sushi. And eat his sushi. Let's let's get to the root cause of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, dude, oh, he's a good guy, but. He turned me on to sushi, man. I never, all the cooking I've done, I was like, dude, this raw fish stuff, dog. And he, like, turned me on to it. I was like, oh, man, this is, it, it, all it is is it's a matter of ingredients. Yep. If you're getting really excellent stuff, I can tell you I'm not going to eat catfish ceviche in little rock you know (laughs) i know you got this fish with like one of the best spear fishermen in the world and it was treated really well and you're gonna prepare it simply and like let it be what it is like i'll do that all day long man heck yeah that's awesome well for anyone that's listening to to my podcast and doesn't know who you are give give some how people can find you uh it's just black duck revival um there's like a couple YouTube things. There's like a meat eater thing. If you just look at Black Duck Revival on Google, and then same thing on Instagram or the website. And there's like recipes on there. There's uh, by the time this comes out, I'll I'll have my hunt school dates announced. We're doing some stuff in Texas, hunting on Johnny Ringo's old ranch. You know Johnny Ringo from Tombstone. Yeah, 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 man. <laughs> Don't you have the guts to play for blood? <laughs> like the, I guess he built this ranch, and so we're doing some uh, like hunt schools there and. Uh, yeah, but I don't know, just Black Duck Revival, you'll find me. Awesome, man. Well, and then 
what about you? Okay, well, uh, my stuff's just East Meets West. Uh, East Meets West Hunt is the podcast and Instagram, East Meets West Outdoors website, YouTube, or my name, Bo Martonic. You search either of those, you'll find all my stuff there. So, Dude, real quick, what's the etymology of Martonic? Um, so that is uh, Czechoslovakian. Dude, dude. What? That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that stuff. And yeah. I was like, that's some Eastern European stuff right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's ex- exactly right. So. Sweet, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. I just, I'm just finding it interesting. I just wanted to know, man. Your, yeah. name's, your name's not Smith, so I wanted to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, shit, man. Hey, I appreciate it. It's cool to get to hang with you, bud. Yeah, man. It was great having this conversation. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, for sure. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening all the way through to another episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and my main man, Brian Sachs. Uh, I was actually talking to Sachs a couple weeks ago, I guess, when I was driving on the road, and uh, we were talking about how I found, uh, I want to say, I think it is, I think it's like the first record, solo record I ever recorded. Uh, and I recorded it in Sax's parents' basement. Uh, and on the back of it, it, I wrote that. I mean, this is like we were burning CDs. We were photocopying the, the inserts and stuff ourselves. Uh, and I looked at that, and I'll, I'll find it and I'll post it. But, man, I've been running with this dude for 25 years. I mean, we met each other when we were 14 in high school. Uh, played in bands. You know, from the end of high school through college, uh, recorded a bunch of stuff, traveled around the country playing shows, just love the dude. So, uh, anyway, I don't know why, I just felt the need to say that. It's good to have people in your life that are consistently good, and Brian Sachs, aka Dizzle, is definitely one of those people. If you want to keep up with me, I'm obviously most active on Instagram. That's just Black Duck Revival. The website is blackduckrevival.com. I'm posting a new recipe on there this week, doing a little bit of revamp on that. And as of the recording of this podcast, I should have uh, some of the hunt dates, or really all the hunt dates and classes I'm going to be offering this year. We're going to do stuff a little bit different. Uh, I've got a lot of traveling to do this year. I'm not going to be in Arkansas for as much of the hunting season as I normally am. And uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about that because I think I'm going to get to create and make some stuff that is kind of like the next step in the evolution of what Black Duck Revival is. But we're going to have some cool hunts in Texas. We're going to chase ducks. We're going to chase pigs. We're going to chase uh sandhill cranes we've got a decoy carving class coming up with my buddy joshua henson uh we're gonna have a wild game processing class offered there at the lodge and other opportunities for you guys to get involved and see what we're up to here at black duck revival so uh as always i ask you if you enjoy this podcast please tell a friend tell an enemy tell an acquaintance leave a review on the podcast that helps tremendously and it's good to be wanted. It's good to be listened to. I appreciate y'all so much. We'll talk to you later.